welcome to the Good People Podcast, where each episode we explore what it means to be good by talking to everyday heroes, philanthropists, altruists, and do-gooders. I'm Kelsey Timmerman, author of Where Am I Giving, a global adventure exploring how to use your gifts and talents to make a difference. And tonight, I'm joined by my friend Jay Mormon. Jay, how are you doing tonight? Good, Kelsey. You uh, finally get the kids to sleep and we could chat. I did, and I was abandoned because my wife left this evening to go to your house. Yeah, it's Handmaid's Tale night with the girls. Yeah, that's always awkward for us guys. Yes, it is. Yeah, I don't uh, hope they don't call me commander when I go back upstairs. Yeah. Um, well, actually, this is kind of a, a bit of a lead-in. It's hard to believe, but you know, Handmaid's Tale is about a a um, world that is or a country that used to be the United States that is kind of ruled by men, right? And yep. it, it turns out, I think, that we need <laughs> women in the world to kind of balance out the craziness of, of, of men. And maybe I just stepped in some weird territory. But <laughs> tonight, uh, I really want to talk about someone who I met in Kenya who is a local leader in her community, and her name is Rosie. And Rosie does peace work. So you hear that term a lot, peace work. And she learned peace work from her mentor, Celine Career. And that women are kind of uniquely suited to do this peace work. Um, it, that's what Celine was telling me in their community, in their culture, um, much less bravado, much more sitting and listening and in um, people's homes. And, and it's just, they're, turns out they're better they're just better at the work of building peace in these communities and the does community, that surprise you that doesn't no. surprise me no. no it doesn't but what was amazing was how badass these women are right mm-hmm. the you know celine career does it kind of give you an idea of the work that how i do my work i got invited to speak at the usaid in washington dc i spoke there and i was getting ready to work on my new book where am i giving and a uh, I got an introduction from someone I know at USAID to the Celine career. And it was just basically, oh, you should talk to Celine. So then I make arrangements. I go and talk to Celine. And she's like, meet me here. And it's basically she's wearing church clothes. And I meet her downtown, Nairobi. And she uh, has someone with her. And this woman is Rosie. And Rosie won't even make eye contact with me. Seems like really shy. But Celine is a badass in her own right who is face down warlords who are basically naked except for uh, a machine gun across their, their lap. Right. And she's um, got them to sit down and talk with the groups that they're warring against and, and just, just um, amazing. So I wake up in the morning and I, I meet Celine downtown and there's Rosie and I have no idea what the, what's the days, how the day is going to unfold in Kenya that day. And then, uh, Celine's like, well, you can go with Rosie to Korogocho. So I'm like, oh, okay, we'll go wherever. And so she hails down a taxi and she says, hey, we're going to Korogocho. And the taxi driver's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to Korogocho. He wouldn't even take you? No, they would not go because we needed someone. And then, then I find out, well, we need someone that will wait on us because we might have to leave in a hurry. So I'm kind of like, what is this? And I can't even pronounce it. I'm like Cora Chogo. I don't, I don't even know the name 
of this place. And turns out it's one of the most uh, violent uh, slums, which also the PC term is called an informal settlement in Kenya. So I have a question for you, Jay. Where's the most violent place you've ever been? Where's the most dangerous place no. you've ever been? Uh, you know, I don't know that I've been anywhere really dangerous. Um, I did, I will admit, one time, which is going to be a pale story in comparison, and I'm not going to tell the whole story on air, but I was in New Orleans once and got lost and wandered downtown after too many shots of tequila and uh, nearly got mugged and had to beg to get in a locked door at a hotel. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah. But I survived to tell the story. It was kind of... It was frightening. But yeah. no, in comparison, I mean, really, no, not bad. Yeah. So I, going into this, I had no idea that this was uh, even that dangerous of a place. But once yeah, you get there and, and get a sense, so we're, we drive with a taxi, this brave taxi driver that we found, and we go into um, Corgocho, and um, you wouldn't want to go there by yourself. You wouldn't want to be drunk, Jay Mormon, walking down the streets of Corogocho. That would not go well. I think, or, or anywhere, but yes, I, I think that you that would get, be bad. I think you would get stabbed and robbed. There's Oof, no doubt okay. about it. So, in in, uh, in Swahili, Corogocho means shoulder to shoulder. So it's an informal setup that's like really tight together. It's only about um, 0.57 square miles, and and people don't really own the land. It's this, hmm. it's this dump. It's, I mean, it's literally a trash heap and it has birds flying over it and spontaneous fires. Like I saw in Cambodia, I think we've talked about before. Yeah, and th yeah. This is, and, and people there, um, you know, work in the dump and, and there's not a lot of opportunities and it's kind of been labeled a no go land for a lot of non-governmental organizations because in 2004, a Zambian diplomat was, was killed in a pretty brutal way. And it's just um, one Scottish journalist said it was a uh, Corgocha is the last stop. You can't fall any further short of being totally destitute or dead. So that's what he said. So this is the place that Celine introduced me to Rosie and, and then sends me on my way with Rosie into Corgocho and we get there and I don't really even have the sense that it's that that dangerous at first. I didn't know. I didn't know that the journalist said that quote about the place. I didn't even know. So I'm really ignorant. You know that. Yeah. yeah. And so we walk into this church Sunday, people were singing and we walk up to the front of the church. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to like speak or something, but I don't, we, we go through this back curtain into this tiny little room. And that's where Rosie introduces me to her legend of Kenya. This, this was the name of her group and they share their stories um, with me. So that's kind of the setting, the scene for what everyone's about to hear. So this is a pretty rough recording. Jay, you've listened to it. It's, yep. it's pretty yep. rough. It was recorded on my iPhone. And so when I'm out doing my journalism, -ing. I don't think that's a very good word. It's late. And uh, like I hmm. have my notebook on top of my iPhone so sometimes you can actually hear me writing. Sometimes the the iPhone gets goes somewhere where the microphone's covered up more. And we're also eating sugar cane the whole time and spitting it out. So that kind of adds another layer to this. And I try to cut out some of the most the the worst parts. And then I also try to kind of reiterate some of the things that Rosie 
said, but listen, I want you to, I want people to hear her voice. And that's one thing I can't really do in a book. I, I can use quotes, but they can't hear her voice and how she rolls the, some of the letters that, the, that come off of her tongue and yeah, the passion, right. <laughs> the passion she has and how she gets quiet in some really serious places. Um, so I'm really excited for you and everyone else to hear Rosie, who's to me mm-hmm. one of um, the most amazing people that I've met. And there's also let me not, go, huh? and I want to add, make sure you know this is in the book, right? Uh, where am I giving? You talk about Rosie. You go through the story. You explain some of the setting, and it's worth reading. Um, it's also another context setter for the interview, right? It's the book is what you built from the interview and the time you spent with Rosie. So um, that, that, that it is worth a, it is worth a read. Oh, I appreciate that, Jay. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's uh, that part of the book starts on page 123, I believe. And, you know, even though it's one of the most violent places on earth, there are people who live there and are just going about their daily lives. People, human people, beings, human beings. And, trying to better themselves. And Rosie's one of those people and she wants to better herself and better her community and lift people up with her. And to do that, Rosie's going to school. And I never thought I would do this going into where am I giving the, where am I giving experience? But uh, I've been helping pay for school for Rosie and she's almost done. And so she has 200, I think she owes $285 that she needs by the 19th of August to do her next semester of school. So um, I'm asking the listeners, if you listen to Rosie and you want to help someone who I think is a pretty amazing person, you can email me, Kelsey at KelseyTimmerman.com, and we can work out how to um, how to get payment to Rosie. Sound good? Awesome. So uh, anything else, Jay, you want to add? Any other questions? No, just uh, turn the headphones up and, and listen to this amazing interview with an amazing woman. Yep. Great. Well, without further ado, here is Rosie Mbonet. After a long day, now here in temple, you relax. No. Because here, nobody can disturb. Nobody yeah. Can, people respect. That's why you guys call it the temple. Yeah, yeah. that's why it's called the temple. So, as for me, I was born and raised in Korogosho. And I was raised up in a, a little bit of a Family. Okay. So Rosie's situation was a little complex, for sure. So she was born and raised in Korogocho. She's the fourth of six children. And her father's mother was a really prominent political figure. Now it never really approved of Rosie's mother, who, to make ends meet, worked in a nightclub. Um, and she, as you'll hear, um, made brew right so she sold that illegal or illicit brew i think rosie will say here in a bit um that's how she supported her family and 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 so her mother-in-law never really approved and eventually took rosie and one of her brothers away from her mother and so that's what she means when her situation was a little complex so my mom had to sell illicit brew to take care of her had to sell brew yeah okay the one you saw there yeah yeah my mother was doing that and uh when she came back after separation with my dad, she has to go for these nightclubs and just get money. Mm. In the day, she sells illicit brew. In the evening, she goes for the nightclub. Yep. 
and I guess that is where she got infected mm. and my grandmother separated me from her mm. and my eldest brother. So she was infected with HIV? Yeah, HIV. She was very tough woman. Mm. People know her. So I went to live with her and we lived with my eldest brother and uh, by then now my eldest brother, she was, he was big and he began to participate in crime, mm. just petty crime, stealing from neighbors, from yep. within. It went on until my brother now graduated, just what Sam Stenson was saying, to another level of hijacking mm. cars and robbing people with the violence. Until mm. 22 or 3, he was arrested and he went to jail for prison for two years. He was released in 2005, okay. January. Again, in 2005, August, he was mm. arrested in, a, in an attempt to try to rob presidential escort. Oh boy, yeah. wow, super he was serious. So extra, you know. He was arrested and arrested in 2005, uh, criminal with the violence. Mm. Robbery stroke two. What's that? Robbery stroke two. Oh. Yeah, in the mm. rule stroke of two. stroke two, you know? Mm -mm. That is robbery. Okay. At a higher level. Okay. Yeah. So when he was in prison, two or five, I finished my my old my primary school. Mm -hmm. And then I joined high school, two or six, two or seven. Now when in high school, life became so tough because when he was in prison, my grandmother died. Oh. My grandmother died of pressure when my brother was mm. arrested. She was so pinned down. She was so confused. She didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. So in two or five, in two or three, I had to come back and live with my mother with my other siblings when my brother was in prison. Mm. And uh, in 2012. So you hear some uh, slurping and slapping and weird stuff uh, while, while we're talking. And sometimes it sounds like Rosie and I are talking with their mouths full. Because we are talking with their mouths full. Um, some of the guys brought us over some sugarcane. And I had to try to figure out how to eat sugarcane without breaking my teeth. So it was, you just bite on the end of it. And it was really hard and tough. And um, just pulled at it and then we chewed on it and you would chew and chew and chew until you got all this sweetness out of it Then you would spit it on the ground. So those are kind of some of the sounds that you're hearing in the background I know that's a little bit distracting, but this is kind of the authentic stuff where I'm out in the world talking with people about their lives and and this is the kind of thing that happens um, so Rosie had some Pretty a lot of challenges in her life for sure. And as you'll see, she really wanted to go to school, but that really wasn't the reality. So she kind of turned to a life of crime. That's all she knew, crime and, and, and violence. And really, to some extent, that's the only opportunity that was in town for many people in Rosie's community. And something else you need to know about this bit is that... Um, Rosie talks about peace work a lot. So um, it doesn't always come through the clearest, but she's talking about her work of peace, so peace work. So, most of my school, half of it I spend it with my grandma. Yep. And now, um, the other half I spend it with my mother. You know, life became tougher when I finished my primary school. And I met a boyfriend who was also in France. 
in 2007. He, he, he was just released from prison. And now you know he was having money. He was engaging in criminal activities mm. and supporting my entire family, me, my wow. mother, my other siblings. And now you know you find refuge. Yep. So in 2008, November, we met in 2007. We dated for one year. In 2008, November 6th, he was shot dead. Uh. By the time he was being shot dead, I was I was two weeks pregnant. Oh, two weeks. Yes. Did you even know you were pregnant? I knew immediately after he died and mm. do a pregnancy test oh. because when he came i ran away from home and went staying with him i was mm. just supporting my mother but she didn't know where mm. i was getting money from because i didn't want her to go through frustration my brother is in prison yeah and she's also struggling to feed us so you find other alternatives on how you can support yeah. your own family yeah. after his death <laughs> I felt so bad, but I did not still stop in participating in crime. I was still helping my friends, his friends and my brother's friends in phones, mm-hmm. just uh, doing, selling uh, drugs. You know bang? It's uh, weed. Oh, yeah. You know it? Yeah. So I was just making it and selling it to people. Two or eight, two or nine, I gave birth two or nine, July 9th, 2009, to a baby boy, and I was so happy because many of my friends, they say, Rosie, you cannot raise an orphan child about this pregnancy, and life goes on, because that is what happened. When a young person is shot dead, and he was having a family, Yeah. They will just kill that child and then they will get another boyfriend. It's, it's a routine. So, just a so your, your friends were telling you that you should do that? Yeah. So my mom just said, no, no, no. This child, he knows nothing. Life has to go on. So your mom said that you should keep Come back. the child? Yeah, yep. keep your child, take care of him. They are good friends. Even now they live together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. In 2012, my brother was released in prison after eight years wow. of being in prison. When he came back, six months later, on uh, 6 August 2012, he was shot dead. Mm. Bullets all over. Was that the brother in the video with you from the no, USAID? No, no. no, different brother. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know how the video was. So, mm. I said, when we were before we went for burial is when I met Selim in mm. between that confusion. Yep. And when we were going for burial, I was just thinking on my way as we go. I have a child without a father. Now I have a brother who has left behind children with a wife. Yep. With many girlfriends, you know also these young men who are in crime. Mm. They don't marry. Yeah. They just have girls all over. They mm. say, when I die, I want to leave my blood also. Mm. Mm. So I was thinking, now what can I do? I'm so confused. And that is when I met Celine. They were coming with the pilot project in Korogosho. Yeah. So initially, it was six months, but it lasted for four years. Mm. Yeah. So is it st- still, or is it gone now? No, it's gone. Okay. So somebody referred Celine to me. But they were referring Celine to me as a bad person who will mm. help in taking care of yep. me by then. 
So I was just thinking when Celine is coming, I go just take my weed. Now when she come, I'm this girl high on top mm. of things. She's asking, what is your name? I say, you don't need to know my name. I don't know why you are here. If you're here to just use us in the community, go. Because many people, they come, they they take so many things about you and then they say, now we will see how we can do to this community. But when they go, they come back to help the community. They don't come back to the real people. Mm. They fall in the hands of bad people. Mm-hmm. So community was so hostile to people who are from outside and asking detailed information about the society. And Celine say, no, 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 me, I'm not here. I'm just here to just know who are you, what are you doing, why are you doing what you do. Then there, she took me to a training, one training that I'm really proud of, mm. trauma healing training. And there I get to meet different people. Mine was crime. I met people who are traumatized because of uh, explosions. Mm. I met people who are traumatized because of uh, mm, being disowned in their own family. Mm. Mm-hmm. I met people with the different stories and I began to think mine is not too big. Mm. Mm. People have yeah. problems all over. Mm-hmm. How can I deal with my problem to help many other people? How can I prevent crime from continue robbing us, our young people, at an early age? So in 2012, after that training, that's mm-hmm. when I began. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Mm. So you were like really high up in the world of so in, in the gang. Was it the gang? gang? What was the name of the gang? You know the gangs. They want you as a woman. You yeah. will be listed suspected by the police mm. who keep their weapons mm. yes and it was dangerous being in the gang mm. do uh are women uh often targeted and killed too yes yeah recently many women they have been killed but before earlier women were not being killed mm. yeah they were being arrested. Mm. But recently, so many women have been killed. Not even old women. 18 years, 16 years, wow. 15 years. Oh. Mm. Very young, 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 young. Girl. So the violence is just is going up and up and up. Yeah. And then, as I told you before, many people, they are, they are aggressive. They are just, it's a revenge. Mm-hmm. They are bitter with the society, they are bitter mm. with the system, they are mm-hmm. bitter with their government. You understand? Yeah, yeah, which I think that it's, it's, I mean, what little that I've heard today, it's very understandable why people would be bitter, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, choosing peace is the hard, hard thing to do, I mean, it seems like, right? Sometimes I say, when I was in that gang, I was not safe. Mm. Because the only enemy I knew was the police. Uh, but now when you are in peace, yep. even your best friend can become your enemy. Mm. So even have you had that happen to you since you've been in peace? Sometimes. Uh, last year, I told you I do things in Matare also. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a conflict that erupted and two young people were killed. Mm. So when I, I, I wanted to do an intervention and unite this two conflicting youth groups. Yep. I called for a meeting. It was on Saturday, 12th December last year. 
then good friend of mine whom i have worked with she calls me on a friday and tells me rosie tension is so high here we cannot do this activity mm. tomorrow but kelsey when i'm i decide i want to go there yeah i don't turn back yeah i went i was not stopped by that phone call mm. and when they came together people did not want to talk people did not want to even get close to each other mm. i stood in between and i told them you know we are not going to talk we are going to clean up our community mm. i have some photos of that event mm. we are going to clean up this community and i i i ask for friends to support that cleanup mm-hmm. they brought in brooms some brought some mm. helping printing of t-shirts and everything mm. then in the process of sweeping we said if you are from up we are all going down if you are from down we are all going up mm. i re-strategize to the community yeah. and we get what we want mm. so at the end of this activity this friend was so bitter and she was like how comes she managed that event mm. mm-hmm. that's why i say sometimes this one you don't know who your enemy is mm. you know mm. when you're in crime you know your enemy is this policeman yeah you try to avoid any crossroad with this these people but when you are in peace work even people who are so close mm. close close to you they will just so you lost a friend then yes mm. this one was a peace walk mm, wow. 15th that's in Mathare yeah this in Mathare we walk in Karubangi we walk in Korogosho people said no 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 we cannot talk we cannot come together it's so hostile mm. then i think what can bring people together yeah. is it only dialogue no 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 is it mm. why don't we do an activity that every one of them must participate mm. yeah that's have you ever done sports before or is that too yeah, sports for peace yeah mm, festival uh, cultural festival where you come with your culture mm. you do your things as an artist mm. and you are appreciated this thing so while rosie and i are chatting on the rock underneath the one shade tree there um, some of the other legend of kenya were doing acrobat tick stuff right they were doing handstands and one would hold the other up and they would do a handstand or the other one's arms were straight up in the air and they were doing push-up contests and sometimes just sitting there eating sugarcane and chatting so you can hear them pretty much through this whole entire interview uh, with Rosie you can hear them in the background chattering and they had had pretty tough existences as I talked to Jay a little bit about but just to give you a sense I'll just share a couple of the quotes that I had jotted down in my notebook from them so first there was uh, Kelvin so he said he's a victim of crime and I'm a criminal. I used to do bad things. My mind was corrupt. I was totally evil. Now he's an agent of peace and a good person. And, and many of these stories that they tell me, they get to the point, but Rosie. But then I met Rosie. And then there was uh, Tyson who started off with petty crime. And then he worked his way up. And some of my, he says, some of my friends were caught and beaten to death. It was bad luck for them, I thought. But I couldn't quit. How would we survive? So... You know, he was arrested and beaten in the escape prison, but he, you know, we met other criminals there and advanced in his criminal career, but 
his father wasn't around. He had two siblings, and his mom provided for them. Uh, so he had to help his mom. So the reason he stopped, he said it was a carjacking. His friend was shot dead, and he was afraid. Um, so there's uh, Nayla, who's there. She worked as a prostitute starting at age, like, 11. Uh, so she has a couple kids of her own now, and she got also into more illegal activities. Uh, they're, you know, they all struggle to get jobs. Um, Samson um, had a very, very tough story. He was one of 10 children, and um, he talked about losing his friend Stephen's brother. Stephen's another one of the legend of Kenya. And here's what he said. They threw him in the river with the crocs and his hands chained. Um, you can't ask the government about it. He just disappeared. So he speculated that it was the police. He lost a friend nicknamed Highway, who was shot and um, was killed by mob justice, which, just to kind of give the idea of violence, this is really kind of grotesque, but he Highway was killed by, they drove nails into him until he died. And Samson saw that all that. And then he met, then he met Rosie. Um, he talked about now how he's a good organizer and he he likes to listen to people and he's good at it. And um, then there's then there's George um, who just come from a political rally. And I'm trying to find uh, one. Oh, this is as Samson's again. You know, so he got out of it after seeing his friend have the nails driven into him. And here's what he said: After my reform in August of 2015. They came looking for me. So by they, he meant the police. They, uh, the criminals often pay off the police. And, you know, there had been a while since they had gotten any money from Samson. So they came looking for him. So he said, I was reformed, but not in their eyes. In their eyes, I still owed them. And he wasn't home. He said, I have a twin. So they came looking for Samson, and, and they found his twin, and Seven bullets and I lost them. They shot him in front of his family. Even if you're reformed, you still live in fear. The team helped me bury him in the village. So by the team, he means the legend of Kenya. So that's kind of the level of violence that these individuals uh, and friends of Rosie's have been through. And uh, they met her. And Rosie met Celine. And to see the change that they're creating... Is, is pretty remarkable. So uh, Rosie and I get into that a little bit here. Wow. So so many of, you know, everybody here, mm. all their stories were, you know, tough stories about their upbringing, and then they got into a little bit of crime and more crime. And then at one point there's always, and then, you know, then they met you. Yeah. And, um, and how does that make you feel when you hear that? I feel... Not even hearing when I see them, I feel good. Mm. You know why? Because now we will be saying, R.I.P., rest in peace, rest in peace. Mm. I feel so proud when I see them alive. You see, this is my brother who was killed. Mm. Mm. When you change a life, you don't need to change 10 million people. Mm. You only need to change one person at a time. So how many, not that you keep track, but how many, I mean, here's, uh, we met six six people today who have changed their lives. Are there more than that? Yeah, there are. Um, 
in Korogosho. Just count of head like this. I can count up to 30. It's mm. only that some of them, they now they get into other activities and now they are more focused with their lives. Yep. They decide to go and live in other areas. Mm. Yeah. And also that team in China. Mm. I'm so proud of them. So do they live in China now? Yeah, they're visiting. No, no, no. They're working. Wow. Okay. They're acrobatics. Yeah, wow. That's a full-time job in China. Full-time job. Acrobats. One-year contract. And they... They trained here. Yeah, they trained yeah. here, and they they are able to take care of their families. Mm. Yes, I'm so happy. Mm. You heard that right. There is a group that Rosie worked with. She tries to help everyone find their unique ability and skill or talent or passion, and use that in a way that they can support their families, support themselves, and better their situation. And there's a group who they're acrobats, like Tyson was, and, and Tyson is, and Tyson teaches yoga and acrobatics. So there's this group, uh, I'm not exactly sure how many it was, but now they're doing performances in China. So they were in Korogocho, and they started to do this piece work, and started to develop some skills, and somehow, they ended up in China now signing a contract to do acrobatic performances there. And so Rosie estimates that there's about 30 people who, uh, outside the legend of Kenya and beyond, that she's kind of been an integral part of. And people have become DJs, there's the professional acrobats, of course, there's someone that's doing puppetry in schools, and there's there are countless ones promoting peace and, and um, leading sessions about peace and volunteering and so it's uh like like she says you don't need to change all lives just one so i mean in many ways your previous life where you were connected to all the crime really helps you now with your yeah. peace work too yeah so five years from now ten years from now what will you be doing hmm. i want to create a safe space where people can just come and tell their stories mm. mm-hmm. without feeling intimidated or victimized. Who came up with the name Legends? Legend was it the Legend of Kent? The Legends Kenya. Legends Kenya. Who came up with that name? Myself. <laughs> Why did you choose the, that name? I have my reasons because when I look at the meaning of that name. Mm-hmm. I see it is something that doesn't perish. Mm. It lives forever. Mm. And I want the legend to live forever, even long after I am not in mm. this world. Mm. <laughs> so I just sit down and I say, the best name, I wanted it to be named as the heroes. Yeah. But then I think, you know, heroes, they only live... Mm. For a period of time, yep. mm-hmm. they are either celebrated when they are alive, when they die, they are never mm-hmm. celebrated. But legends, you see somebody like Bob Marley, mm. that is a legend. Yeah. You see somebody like Nelson Mandela, mm. that is a legend. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. so to my ear, it first sounds like when Rosie's talking about the name of her group, 
almost sounds like the Legion, right? But it's not. It's the legend of Kenyon. It at first uh, it sounded kind of awkward to me or my ear. I kind of thought it was uh, should have been legends since there was many of them. Um, but legends would imply that individually they were each a legend unto themselves, I guess. But they weren't each a legend, right? It's the it's there's Celine who, without the sacrifices she made, and the people who made sacrifices for her. Um, there would be no Rosie, and without uh, Rosie, there would be no Samson or George or Nayla. And so we often feel we aren't positioned to make a difference, that we don't have enough money or time or talent to make an impact. I, mean, I certainly feel that way all the time. But then you take a moment to think about Rosie and Celine and the legend of Kenya, and they grew up in a world without many opportunities and rights and found ways to act as agents of change, even at great personal risk and sacrifice. So, like, if they can make a difference, we can. Their work lives um, are in, caught up, and they're just at, they're, they're, they're lived lives, right? I don't know if that makes any sense at all. It really doesn't. But um, their work lives on through the lives of those they touch. So only collectively are they a legend. So to me, that's how that makes sense. So that's where the name is, the Legend of Kenya. That's kind of like the collective name of the group. And what you need to know about this next part is, um, you know, Rosie had some really hard feelings for the police. The The father of her child was shot and killed by the police. And, and many people in this community are, she claims, and I don't doubt, uh, shot and killed by the police. In fact, I heard some people say that if your loved one was shot and killed by the police, you had to pay per bullet that they pulled out of your out of your loved one's body if you wanted the body back. And it was like $25 per bullet, something that a lot of people couldn't afford. But it would be hundreds of dollars for some of the people who were shot. If, and, and there's something about they really want to take the loved one back to their um, village from that they came from so they could bury them there and if your loved one was shot by the police often you couldn't afford to pay the bullet tax or whatever it's called because um, you didn't have enough money now I don't actually mention that in what I've written about them because it was never something I could really confirm but in passing the people did share that with me so she had very harsh feelings for the police. But then as she got into the peace work, she started to realize that if she wanted to make a difference in her community and promote peace, she not only needed to work with the, the gang leaders and people from her former life, she needed to work with the police and all the different stakeholders in her community. So it was a pretty big thing for her to do and not always the easiest. So your son is eight now. Yeah, my son is eight. Do you think he'll ever come back here to live with you, or do you not want that? I don't want him to come. Yeah. Because if he come, uh, many children who their fathers were killed when they were not yet born, when they grow up, many of them now they are 15, 18, mm. they say, even my father died when he was doing this. Mm. I have to do it. Yeah. And they, they are very bitter towards policemen. Mm. They don't want anything to do with police. They yeah. are they are they have they are, they have bad blood with police. Yeah. And my son 
I want to tell him the narrative of what happened in a way that it will not affect him mm. psychologically. Mm. There is no way I'm going to explain that to him if when he's going to school he see people being mad. Yeah. He see weapons, he sees you know, I also want to create an at- atmosphere for him to know that it happened, yes, but you don't have to live that life. Mm. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I'm holding so much onto my son is because when his father was shot dead, I was blamed by the, the, his father's parents for mm. his death. Mm. They said, you're the mm. woman who has been living with this yep. man. How come she didn't know what he was doing? So we don't want you here. And they they went into where we were living and took everything. Mm. My clothes only were left in that house. Wow. So I also want to just raise my son in a harmonious way without any bitterness. Yep. Without him knowing what really happened when his mm. father was shot dead. But when he grew he grows up, I will explain mm. in a way that. Yep. won't bring a rift or a hatred between mm. him and his father people's side but for me that was bad and i have to do something about mm. it mm-hmm. yeah. so when was the last time you saw him my son yeah hmm. last weekend mm. Mm. i say he lives far is it very far away not very far two hours from nairobi mm. Mm. i have to go there if I don't go weekend, I have to call. Mm. 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 I have to call. So Rosie shared a little bit about the different stakeholders that were in the community and the different groups. And I think one thing that this speaks to is how important that local knowledge is. So someone coming from outside of Korogocho coming in trying to do this work would not know all these different factions. She talked how there's uh, knife people and gun people, and she goes into a little detail uh, about that. And there's different age groups, and there's different almost like crime syndicates, and there's the people who sell weed, and the people who sell guns, and the people who are doing petty theft, and then there's the the police, and there's maybe corrupt police. and um, So this all exists. But one thing that happens when, when something goes down in the community, no matter who you are, it seems like you, you know who to call, and that's Rosie. You call Rosie, and she'll get the medical people to take help take care of the situation or try to de-escalate the situation. So she kind of floats between all these groups and knows how to work with them. You cannot bring peace mm. in the community with criminal salon. Yeah. You must work mm. with mm-hmm. other stakeholders and security. So did you learn like this way of thinking Does that all come from like your trainings with Celine? Or did you start to have this thinking on your own too? Mm. Sometimes when I sit down, but I go through several training, then I ask myself. Before Kelsey is an author. He's a human being. So I ask myself, many policemen, also them, they are in crime. Mm. And they die. So they are human beings before they, they are policemen. Mm-hmm. They are fathers, they are husbands, they are children mm-hmm. from somewhere. Mm. So I began to just analyze 
real life of of, of yeah. people are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like that. So there's a division between gun and knife people. So who's on top? Gun people? Gun, gun are on top. Yeah. We have those with the guns, but they kill so easily with knives. Mm. They know where to target. They know if they start you from the neck, mm. from your left, you die easily. Mm. They know if they stab you from the left in your stomach, you die easily. Mm. So we have those who have guns, but their guns are rarely used. Mm. They are only used if need be. But mm. they use this knife often mm. to kill. Yeah. Mm. Because when you are killed with a knife, no sound. Mm. When you kill with a gun, psh. Yeah. yeah. As Rosie's telling me these gruesome details, kind of gets quiet and she looks over at her friends who are still joking around and kind of enjoying the day. And then she tells me this. Friends, so many of our friends, they have died. <laughs> Have you lost any friends through peace work? No. I've lost a friend after starting peace work to who backslide. Mm. Yeah. They reform, they change their life, but they still go back. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. So do you feel like you're doing enough? No. I still need to do more. So have you had your uh, place, the place of, what do you call it, your peace center or, or a place where people could be safe? Would that be enough? Yes. Because now that office is so small. Mm. When people come, there are some people who are very detailed, they want to share, they want that mm. mentorship. Mm. And so many of the youth who are in crime, they don't have places to sleep. Mm. So if I have a safe space, it can be easy to transform a person, accommodate them for two months, mm. Then in this process of accommodation, we also partner with maybe the, the other like-minded organization yep. and provide platforms and opportunities of even doing business. Mm. They are strong people, they can do business. Mm -hmm. It's not a, a matter of being employed, it's not a matter of being educated. Now, it happened that they are big people, yeah. they cannot go back to school. Schooling also going back is very expensive. Mm. Mm -hmm. How can he... You understand? Mm -hmm. I always say, one day if I have a safe space for you, I'll be so proud. But for now, still I have to do more. Every day I wake up, I have to do more. As long as I'm alive, I have to do more. So Jay, that was definitely some pretty heavy stuff. For sure. And, and that's a life and reality that people um, in Rosie's community face every day. Yeah, that um, it, it really is some perspective. Uh, and you said it before the interview or before the, uh, the we listened to that. But um, the fact that that's reality for someone, for people, for human beings that have you know, react to feelings, you know, the, the trauma of seeing some of the things they've seen. And I think about violence in, in our country right now, which is so 
heartbreaking and horrible. Um, some of the things she's seen, I don't know that I could come back from. Um, I think the interesting thing about Rosie in the book, and I loved hearing the interview because you'd never played those for me before, um, is she went from one of the most violent situations being part of that violence um, and then just just completely flipped around to say, I'm going to be peaceful. And not only is she, you know what, this relates perfectly to our last episode, but not only is she going to be peaceful in her own mind, in her own world, she's going to teach peace to others. Um, and she made that choice. She went out and started doing that. Um, you talk about in the book how she has stood up to and, and um, um, fought for peace uh, in her community. She said she's going to clean up the community. Um, and it just takes extreme courage to do that. And you would think in a situation like that, you would get protective about your life and your livelihood and your ability to, to, to exist as a human being. But she took more risk. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it really was uh, uh, inspirational is not a big enough word. I don't know for that. But um, she really was, uh, she's an example uh, and somebody to really listen to. And I love the pictures and I love seeing her in the book too. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got to see what she really looked like because um, you get to know her personality a little bit. And this interview helped me hear that a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. She had, and I don't remember the exact quote that's in the book, but it's something she told me that we're, and I don't even think I have it on. I don't, I don't think I have it recorded, but she said, you have to allow your courage to cover other people's fears. And it's like, she's, it's like, she's not af- afraid anymore. Um, and there, in the, with all of the, the legend of Kenya, there's some level of forgiveness that comes into play here too, forgiving their past selves for what they did and then trying to reconcile their future selves and who they are now knowing, having experienced what they have experienced and what they've done, what they've done. Um, right. And, and forgiving, now Rosie works closely with the police. And the police have killed, uh, I think she claims that the, the police killed her, the father of her son, and many mm-hmm. other people in the community. And they often can be corrupt as well. So the, to be able to still work with them and to have in her past experience, then she can work with the gangs as well. It's just really kind of amazing how she's, positioned there but really when you look at rosie she wasn't born with any money she didn't have hardly any opportunities she experienced the the most traumatic things that you possibly can experience um with her son i don't think that this i don't know if this was in there or not but you know she her the the father of her child was shot and killed and she was pregnant with her child and her friends told her to throw the baby in the dump, right? Throw, just throw the, throw the baby away. And she chose to, to, to keep her child and, and, and to raise her child. So these are the decisions that she's having to make at a very early age. And yet she's been able to give so much. Yeah. And I think that's challenging for all of us when every single person who's listening to this, all, all, 250,000 or something like that, Jay. It's, we've really blown up. <laughs> Quarter of a million. Say it that way. Quarter of a million. There you go. Uh, that are listening to us right now. That, uh, I guarantee that all of them had 
a, a better start in life and more opportunities. And yep. she gives, yep. she started with less and gives more. The math doesn't work out. I just don't quite understand how she yep. exists and does what she does. And I'll share a I video uh, of her. I have actually a video clip of her. I'll put in the show notes. I may actually put the audio at the end. We'll see how lazy I am or not where she's talking about her peace school a little bit for, for the, for my camera. Right. And she, um, you know, that's her dream. Her dream is to have this school, this, this place where people can go outside of the community away from the violence and just live for two months and not have to worry about all that and just figure out what they want out of life and what they have to offer the world. And this is why I have given um, so much to Rosie uh, for her education because I know she's making a big difference in a lot of people's lives. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, I think that it's, it's an interesting idea that, well, first off, you know her, um, but that if we can help, if we can help her become more right through her education, how many people does she impact? Right. Um, and that, that is, that's pretty cool. I, I, We'll have to get uh, we'll have to get the word out a little bit more and see how much we can uh, get. Despite the two hundred fifty thousand listeners, um, maybe we can get other people involved and uh, get her through it. How many is this her last semester? Or does she have another one after that, or how do they do that? Yeah, this is her last semester, I believe. Um, I don't know if she just went to the school year. I think that this is her last semester. I mean, she she keeps me updated really well, like more more than I need. Like she sends me the receipts. Uh, she sends me her, um, her, her scores for her classes. She sends me pictures of that. And to me, if Rosie took the money and did something else with it, I'm fine. You know, like she's, she's, she's amazing. She can do whatever, whatever she, whatever she wants with it. But she's really like focused on making sure that I know that that those funds are going to her education, but you're right. It's the, how how much, how much does she need to, to finish? I mean, if this is her last semester, it's two hundred fifty dollars. So I think, early, yeah. So I think early on it was like uh, I think I've been helping her out on and off now since I got back in two thousand seventeen, and it was like twenty five hundred dollars, something like that then. And that's for her to go and all the way through to get her master's, and which would better position her to get a job. It's really hard for someone in Corogocho to get a job outside of the community because often they can't afford any education often they don't have the appropriate papers to get a job anywhere, any kind of formal job. So there's a lot of challenges. And often we talk about like, how do you quantify the positive impact? And I think the, I probably said this before, but the most important ways that we make a difference are immeasurable. And Rosie mentions this in an interview of just uh, helping one person. And then that person might help someone. And, you know, Celine has helped countless people. She helped Rosie. Rosie has helped 30 people so far more that she references in the interview turn away from a life of violence to peace work. And how many people will those 30 people have? So it has like this exponential impact. And sometimes we get lost in the numbers of, oh, there's 50,000 people that are facing this and 100,000 people are facing that or a million people facing that. Sometimes we just focus on that one person and make a difference in their lives. That might be the way that we ultimately make the biggest impact. Right. Yep. Great. 
You're making a difference in my life, Jay. Thank you. Am I? Yeah. Should I be focused? Should I be focused elsewhere? Or? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, I'm so I'm so glad right. that you got to hear Rosie's voice, and I'm so thankful that the listeners did too. She's yeah, one of, one of my love, favorite people. So yeah, yeah. Get the show notes out, and let's get uh, let's get her paid for. I'd love to see her finish and continue her impact. Yeah, and I'll share is. I'll share updates with everyone too. So if you are interested in helping Rosie finish her masters, you can email me, Kelsey at KelseyTimmerman.com and we'll figure out I, I have an app on my phone where I it's in two seconds I can send her money to Kenya because Kenya has a really great mobile money system. They had like Venmo like ten years before we had Venmo. So yeah. it's really yeah. it's a really pretty seamless way to send her money. But um, yeah, so that was Rosie. Thanks, Jay. Talk to you later. All right. See you, Kelsey. See you, man. Thanks for listening to the Good People Podcast. Special thanks to my friend Jay Mormon for co-hosting and to Cliff Ritchie for the great tunes. You can listen to Cliff on Spotify or find him at cliffritchyart.com. Let's keep the good going. Please share, rate, and subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Visit kelseytimmerman.com slash goodpeople to find show notes suggest guests, learn more about my books, and tell us about the good you are doing in the world.